This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer on this lovely Saturday. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, you'll meet our guests from the BC Denturists Association who are here today, well, because it's their month. In our second hour, John Carlson returns with a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Forever 21, the low-price fashion chain and once hot destination for teen shoppers, will close all 44 of its Canadian stores and up to 178 locations in the States while restructuring its global business under bankruptcy protection. The L.A.-based company announced this week it's filed for protection under both U.S. and Canadian laws and confirmed that it plans an orderly wind-down of the entire Canadian branch of its business while they focus on maximizing the value of the stores they won't close in America. All 44 Forever 21 Canada stores in Canada will close before the end of the year and we have plans to liquidate our store inventory in the near near term. Canadian customers can continue to shop our curated assortment of merchandise on our U.S. website. That's, uh, of course, from Forever 21, the explanation statement. They're going to close most of its location in Asia and Europe. They will continue to operate in Mexico and Latin America. This is not a new story for us, as we followed many retailers right out of business over the past three years. It's not always the case, as Payless Shoe Source closed its 248 Canadian stores after filing for bankruptcy earlier this year in February. However, Toys R Us Canada continues to operate as a separate business despite the closure of its entire American and UK divisions. Forever 21 has also been more vulnerable than some of the other retail chains because of its large footprints in major malls. And major malls aren't attracting the shopping shopper volumes they used to. Our natural gas company is applying to the B.C. Utilities Commission to replace the old-style gas meters, the one at the back of your house right now, in more than a million B.C. homes and businesses with new wireless advanced gas meters. Now, Fortis B.C. says the new meters would use sound to measure gas usage and communicate that data wirelessly to Fortis. The gas company says the system would allow it to remotely detect leaks, too, while allowing customers to view their gas usage in real time online. Fortis said it would also mean meter readers won't need to head around your property and get the dog all crazy once a month, reducing carbon emissions by just stopping that by over a 1,000 tons a year. If the project is approved, however, customers would not be able to opt out of the new system. Fortis BC is conducting public consultations over the fall, making its application to the Utilities Commission early next year. A decision on the approval expected, well, it'll take a year, with installation potentially beginning in 2022. We'll let you know when and where the public consultation process on new gas meters begins. We'll follow this story as it goes along. A year after legalization, marijuana has had less of a negative impact on the Canadian workplace than many had expected, even though some workplaces allow employees to get high on the job. A new Ipsos survey for human resources consultancy ADP Canada found that, as expected, most workplaces ban cannabis use. 86% of respondents said, well, that's the policy where I work. But a perhaps surprisingly high share of workforces, 8%, actually allow cannabis, and among employees at those places, 
About half consume at work. That's roughly 1 in 25 of us getting, well, high on the job. About 1 in 20 Canadians consume cannabis before work, too, the survey found. Despite this, respondents overall concluded that cannabis consumption isn't doing much damage at the office. Between 70 and 75 percent said cannabis legalization has had no impact on safety, productivity, absenteeism, or indeed quality of work. This is in stark contrast to opinions held prior to legalization in 2018, when nearly half of working Canadians expected productivity and quality of work to decline, and uh, similar levels of uh, health and safety issues also to decline, and absenteeism to increase. Not the case. Not at all. ADP Canada reported, curiously, managers appear to be more open to cannabis use than employees. The survey found 13% of managers see cannabis use as acceptable in the workplace versus just 3% of the non-managers. I have yet to meet one of those 13% of managers who find all this stuff acceptable. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at some more later in the show. Coming right up, we'll introduce you to some members of the BC Denturists Association. Joining us today to tell us all about National Denturists Awareness Month. And we'll move to open up our phone lines as well. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer, and you are on CKNW. Welcome back to the program on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. The leaves are starting to turn colors. It's early October and we suddenly look like it. It's a lovely day. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by two members. Uh, we've got quite a delegation in-house, but two of their people have stepped up to the mic to talk to us about National Denturists Awareness Month. With us from Langley is a past president of the BC Denturists Association. Darren Saylor is with us. Hi, Darren. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And jumping on a ferry earlier today, Today, to make the broadcast from Nanaimo Parksville is a board member Alan Bose from the BC Denturist. Hi, Alan. How you doing? I am well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us, and thanks for for um, putting out the effort to to be with us this afternoon. Probably a pretty nice boat ride across today, too, right? Well, to be tell you the truth, I flew across on uh, one of the airlines, well, the float planes. Lottie, da, and a, a lovely day for that. Too. Absolutely, it was beautiful. So, tell us, guys, what do denturists do? Well, denturists are denture specialists. So what that means is we specialize in uh, removable prosthetics, and that's something that uh, um, you know could be a partial or a full denture or a denture over implants. So that's what denturists do. Okay, so Darren, uh, expand on that a little bit because there are within Alan's description there are options, there are categories. So you talked about a partial and a full and implants and right. all. So break it down for so us. So the general public can come to see a denturist direct, directly. We are uh, oral health care providers direct to the public. And so when, you, you don't need to, to, to have a referral from your family dentist to go see a all. denturist? Not at all. Yet we work alongside... See, not everybody knows that even. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't. Okay. We work alongside our dental partners in the community uh, on a regular basis, but when a patient is coming to a denture clinic, um, they might be completely edentulous. They might wear a complete upper denture and a lower partial. They might just wear partials. Right. So <clears throat> as a healthcare provider with screening these individuals and looking at their needs, we would manufacture the appropriate dental device that is going to get them back to a quality state of health that allow them to chew, smile, talk, and have the comfort to be able to work normally in society with uh, just like everybody else. Alan, as healthcare providers, as uh, Darren just said, what sort of education and training does a typical BC denturist receive? Well, from what I understand, the new schooling, I haven't been there for a while, but the new schooling is a three-year program um, at a technical school. And that uh, involves basically d- entirely denture-related uh, training. 
So, so it's we, a diploma program. It then. is a diploma program. Okay. Yes. And who supervises denturists? Who, who's, who's in charge? As a health profession, um, the College of Denturists in the province of British Columbia, which is a uh, regulatory body, uh, licenses and monitors the uh, current regulations to make sure that denturists actually uh, meet the needs of the public and provide those services in a safe manner. So who makes the regulations then, Alan? Is it the College of, uh, of Denturists? Well, it's the Health Professions Act uh, that governs us, uh, along with 21 other uh, healthcare professions. There's four dental healthcare professions. Okay, and uh, we are one of the healthcare professions in the dental uh, in the dental side. So, the, so it's that act that defines what you can and can't do. Exactly. Okay, got it. Yeah, and then our college uh, governs us. Uh, we are a self-regulated college, like all the other healthcare professions. And yeah. Okay, so who typically, Darren, are your patients? Our patients are like you and me. They are patients from uh, the age of 20 years old all the way up to you know full life expectancy. Um, patients who uh, are well educated from doctors and lawyers and chiropractors to school teachers to uh, your your high school student mm-hmm. who basically through the loss of their natural teeth uh, by either an accident or through disease uh, has resulted in, in some form of tooth loss or complete tooth loss right. that would require the services of a denturist. Okay. Uh, go ahead, on. Uh, so the demographic, I mean, the demographic of BC, the last stat I looked at was uh, there's 5 million people in BC mm-hmm. and there is uh, half of those roughly close to 50% of that population is over 45. And so there's a, a very large segment of the population that that are potentially uh, patients of a, a denture, a denturist. From your experience, you talked about loss of teeth from either an accident or disease. Which of the two, Darren, is more likely to be the case? Actually, neither one. Actually, oh, okay. it, it's uh, it's it's not discriminate one versus another. Right. Um, the population from patients who are in their 70s or 80s or 90s today could have been edentulists from the age of 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time when they were in their youth, uh, dentistry, the way that dentistry was uh, conducted, uh, the state of the world at that point, economics in terms of the depression, people had lost their teeth sure. based on lack of nutrition mm-hmm. or poor hygiene habits. Um, and so therefore, these people live today sometimes being denture wearers for 70 or 80 years. Right. You know, they actually... Um, work with artificial teeth basically to um, get through their their diet and function and conventional dentures can work quite successfully for these individuals. Interesting stuff. So how long, Alan, typically does a set of dentures last? Because if you're talking, now Darren's just talking about someone who may be seeing you in your practice who's been wearing dentures for 50 or more years. How long typically does a set last? Well, the set of dentures will last a long time, but how long they service a patient is another question. Okay. So the, the, the question is, how, how long does that set of dentures service that patient? And that's typically between five and 10 years before they should be considering replacement. And that depends on how hard you are on those teeth. Uh, the oral environment is a very harsh environment. We, we chew food, we start our digestion in the mouth. And it, so it's a, it's a very harsh environment that we are asking those dentures to do a lot. So typically, you know, five to 10 years is a reasonable amount of time before we replace a denture. So Darren, if someone comes to you and says, you know, it's been a few years, and and it, it's kind of feeling a little loose. It's it's feeling it doesn't feel the same as it did when it was first installed. 
Uh, what sort of changes does a person go through that would cause that different feeling over time? When, when the natural tooth is inside the actual human jaw, the purpose of the bone is to hold the root of the tooth. Yes. So when the tooth has been extracted, the process of the bone is to shrink around the, the structure of what that root socket was. Mm-hmm. So as the bone continues to shrink over a course of time, the prosthesis, the denture that's being worn in that environment, tends to have the bone shrink away underneath it, so therefore we lose contact with the denture base. Therefore, a gap develops, a space develops, and we lose the contact, so the denture becomes loose. As it becomes loose, it becomes more challenging to chew food, it becomes more prone to having food underneath it, and because of movement, it will certainly stimulate the tissues to become irritated and sore, but it's the movement that also will accelerate the actual continuation of the bone loss. So, do somebody who comes into your office who has um, a complete denture or a partial denture and the denture is becoming evident that it's loose, right. we would provide the service of a realign. Maintenance to the denture itself is a common... Uh, so you don't need to replace it necessarily then? No, we provide services of, of keeping those clients in those restorations to keep them functional so that the appliance itself meets those needs of function so that the denture itself is worn comfortably and maintains uh, adequate contact with the denture base of the soft tissue and bone to give them comfort. So Ellen, it isn't necessary to get a brand new set necessarily. You can modify an existing denture to uh, to adjust to those changes that uh, Darren just described. Absolutely. So this is a this is a thing that I I, I want to stop and, and talk about for a second because some people might not be going to see a denturist because well I can't afford a brand new thing. Uh, it's out of my price range. However, they don't necessarily need a brand new thing, do they, Alan? And that. Whatever modification is necessary is going to cost a lot less than a whole new thing, right? Yes, it is. And that's what we call a reline or rebase of the tissue fitting surface of the denture. And that's typically because of the bone loss, we have to refit the tissue surface. And if the teeth are still in good shape and it's supporting the jaw vertical dimension or the jaw vertical uh, and meeting the needs of of the TMJ, then yeah, we would just reline the denture at a fraction of the cost of a new set of dentures. Well, that's really good to know. And I don't know that everyone is aware of that, Darren. And you got to take a moment and just point out the facts because you don't want people not coming to see you because they're afraid it may bankrupt them. A person who's naturally, um, who wears nat- who has their natural teeth, will go through uh, a relationship with their dentist and have a recall every six sure, months yeah, or every nine months or a year. Cleaning, you yeah, bet, yeah, exactly. So people who are denture wearers often sometimes fall through the cracks. They no longer have natural teeth, right. and so therefore they might go several years without actually having an oral exam. So these are the educational components of a denturist working with the relationship of the patient to educate them that it's really important to have annual checkups, checking those soft tissues, checking the condition of the denture, making sure that the the oral environment itself is uh, screened properly to make sure there's no precancerous lesions, that the structures of support are actually in good health, and the denture itself is meeting those requirements. When we do a needs assessment, we identify things that are actually going wrong or are unhealthy or recognized as being um, not as good as they should be, when we'd make the appropriate recommendations of treatment to guide that patient into making sure that they can be educated into, into making a choice that would be right for them to continue to work with their dentures or make a new set of dentures. Interesting stuff. So, Alan, anyone who figures, yeah, I got I got, a, I got a plate now, so so much for seeing the dentist once a year. Perhaps should reconsider that attitude, as, as Darren has just described, an annual checkup for someone with a, a dental prosthesis, prosthesis of some description is as valuable and as important as if, you're, as if you were going to see your dentist for your annual checkup. 
Yes, it is. And the the yearly checkup is simply sometimes we just have a look and, and see how things are going. We don't yeah. have to do something, but uh, it's it's good to keep up with it because all of a sudden, uh, you know, you turn the corner and, and you you leave it too many years, and and sometimes the changes uh, could have that could have been simple now are complicated, and replacement might be required. So the maintenance side of it kind of keeps you out of the you know having to replace it as often. I, uh, this is just a straight curiosity question for both of you. My dad used to have an upper dental full plate, and he always used that pink goop on it to make it stick in place. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but I remember the pink stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I don't see those products around much anymore. Is it because they make things better now? Fifty years after I was a little boy watching my dad put pink goop on his on his plate, or do they still use those, those products? Those products still certainly exist. Um, the role that dentists play with our relationship with our patients is that we went to dental school to become trained to provide a dental product that would meet the needs of a patient so that it would be fitting accurately and successfully uh-huh. comfortable. Right. When we see clients relying on polygrips and denture adhesives to keep their denture in, they sometimes in a short term is the requirement to kind of move them through sometimes stages of treatment. You know, if somebody's had recent extractions and moving through a healing phase, we'll sure. sometimes suggest that's a, a product to, to possibly use. But we don't generally recommend using these types of products that are store-bought aftermarket products because it sort of band-aids a problem that could be a bigger problem and we want to make sure we want to uh, guide and advise the patient to the appropriate type of restoration maintenance that would be required to give them the opportunity that their denture is fitting proper. Uh, an aftercare product like Polygrip has a additional cost and we don't want to see them actually incurring more costs that actually, like I say, band-aids a problem that really should have some care and attention to it by, uh, you know, a denturist that actually screens that environment and recognizes the need for it to be, you know, addressing the fit or addressing the actual prosthetic itself. And Alan, you mentioned in that checkup, one of the things that typically will take place on an annual basis is you're a healthcare provider. You've identified you and all of your colleagues as as part of that community. So clearly part of your training is uh, in how to conduct an oral exam and some of the key clues to look for in terms of general overall health that not many of us are aware of clearly present in the mouth in many cases. Yeah, so we don't diagnose uh, those types of things. But you would notice it, but right? we are trained to identify abnormalities, and that's really what it boils down mm-hmm. to. So when we look in the mouth, we're, we're able to see the, the, the abnormalities uh, that are present, and then we're able to refer... Uh, because some patients that are uh, that have dentures haven't seen a dentist for years, yeah. uh, decades sometimes. So being being able to refer them out correctly uh, is is our job. Welcome back to the program. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by two members of the BC Denturists Association, Darren Saylor, joining us from Langley, and Alan Bowes with us from Nanaimo Parksville. I took a plane over to join us uh, earlier today. And this is National Denturists Awareness Month. I bet you didn't know that the whole month of October 2019. Uh, guys, we've been talking about dental uh, 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 Prosthesis, dental appliances, dental dentures. Right. So, are you in the implants business, or is that a whole other ball game that denturists don't involve themselves with? No, dentures. Denturists provide uh, dentures, but there's a lot of patients that are out there that are in the marketplace today where a dental implant will definitely improve their quality of life. Right. And so, we collaborate our services with the dental community, the dentists, the periodontal specialists, and the oral surgeons to help us with the placement of dental implants so that the prostheses can be retained and supported 
supported by uh, those implants so the patient can have a, a much improved quality of fit and improved quality of function so they can eat quality of foods and have more confidence in wearing their denture. But Alan, you don't actually do the surgery. You're denturists. You're not surgeons, oral surgeons. So it becomes a team effort uh, to achieve successful implants, right? Yeah, it's a collaborative uh, approach to treatment, sure. and uh, you know, uh, you know, the surgeons don't necessarily do dentures, and we don't have, don't do implants. So, you know, it works great. They place the implants, and we restore everything above the gums. Aha! Uh, okay. Yeah. So, All right. yeah, they do the surgical side, and. You know, uh, there's a lot of options when it comes to dental implants. Uh, the number of implants that a person gets will greatly increase the quality of, uh, you know, performance from their restoration. Uh, two implants to four implants, uh, sometimes up to six implants uh, are required, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great service. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's talk about costs because uh, and insurance. We haven't brought that up yet. Mm-hmm. And, and most of us, most working people, have some kind of arrangement with their employer where there's a dental plan of some description as part of their employment package, right? So how much let's, – let's deal first of all with dentures and then we'll talk about implants because I suspect we're talking, Darren, about two very different games. How about dentures with respect to dental insurance coverage? Dental insurance is a, a benefit that the employer will provide to the employer so that they can have a reduction in cost in the services that they need in terms of restoring their mouth. Right. So a dental plan can uh, is categorized under standardized care. So x-rays, cleanings, repairs to a denture, realigning a denture, complete dentures. Uh, they are services that we would provide that are going to have a benefit through that insurance policy that would cover anywhere between 50% to as much as 100%. Right. So the consumer, the patient who's actually looking at needing to uh, restore their mouth in some fashion can have the benefit of having that dental plan pay some or all of their costs so that it becomes more affordable sure. and then uh, creating flexibility for options as well so that they are allowing themselves the opportunity to consider different treatment options so that they can afford what's in their needs. I think the best dental plan I ever had covered pretty much about 80% of, my, of the costs of whatever work I was going to have done, whether it was fillings or uh, some kind of a appliance or whatever. That's pretty good, Alan isn't it? And Darren mentioned some go up to 100, but typically 50% is sort of at least the minimum, isn't it? Yeah, 50% would be, you know, for uh, major work like a denture, you know, typically get 50%. And depending on the plan that you have and the dental insurances, one of those things that the, the more you pay for your dental insurance plan, probably the more they're going to provide in far, as far as percentages of, of the work done. So depending on the, the insurance plan that you have will dictate the percentage. Exactly. Now, uh, Darren, what about uh, dental insurance with respect to implants? Because now we're, we're, we're definitely talking a different thing, aren't we? We're in a modern age and most dental plans generally don't cover yeah. uh, dental implants. Why? But we're starting what, to see a deal? choice um, because it's a surgical component. Oh. Uh, and we're dealing with aspects of risk and therefore um, the dental insurance company looks at these types of services as being more um, specialized, not standardized care. So the dental choice for a consumer at that point when it comes to conventional dentistry, uh, that's standardized care. They're comfortable with having those costs be attributed to uh, as a benefit. But when it comes to dental implants, this is a personal choice outside of standardized care being specialized care. And most dental plans really don't have coverage where that policy is going to assist them in the coverage. Mm-hmm. However, we are starting to see some changes with some of the policies that are in the marketplace, but very few exist. Now, as far as, and, and just to stay with us for one, one more question, this whole matter of being uh, covered by a dental insurance plan of one description or another, 
Alan, you recommended earlier that individuals with dentures get an annual checkup, just as people who don't have dentures get their annual checkup and cleaning from their dentists. If you do wear a denture, you should still go for an annual checkup at a denturist. Is that covered by your dental plan? Absolutely, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they, they do cover recall exams and uh, or spec exams that are required uh, under your under your uh, insurance plan. Yes. Oh, okay. So it's a, a sort of standard maintenance, and you're covered. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you said uh, uh, during the break, during the news break, you, you said something to me that I wrote down actually because I well really you said ninety percent of us need maintenance. There's a uh, I think Darren, you said there's a small group who are sort of uh, predisposed to being able to wear dentures as if they were born with them. That represents a fragment of the population. Alan said, yeah, and the rest of us, the other ninety percent, uh, we need maintenance. So talk to us about maintenance, Alan. What well, do you mean? Well, it's the bone loss. It was part of the the bone loss that happened. And some people, when you when their teeth get extracted, the the bone resorbs fast, or it uh, you know it it resorbs in a way that is not supportive of a denture, and that means uh, that means you know we have to be more diligent on the maintenance and keeping up with the relines. Uh, or refits, and otherwise, yeah, they have to. Uh, that that ten percent that doesn't have to come back for relines. It's it's very rare that that people don't need to. But there are a segment that that doesn't absolutely have to. I wanted to ask you about about implants too, because we talked earlier, Darren, about the typical lifespan of a of a denture, which Alan reminded us was some typically between five and ten years. So, what about implants? Is there such a thing as a lifespan for an implant, or is that one and done? A dental implant, if it's been treatment planned and uh, is placed and monitored and, and checked on a regular basis itself, a dental implant can serve the test of time. It will live the life of the, the individual who has those implants placed. It's basically a, a, a management of the bone when we place an implant, and it supports the prosthesis that we're going to work with. And so if it's well taken care of, it's been checked on a regular basis with x-rays and hygiene and followed up with uh, care to uh, make sure that the condition itself of that implant is in good health, it should last the, the, the person who has that implant for the rest of their life. Interesting stuff. And, and do you think people know that when they, when they go that route? Maybe that's part of what guides their decision I, because it costs more, but then your, your maintenance costs over long term are likely to be lower. The expectation is that with a with anything we buy, we want it to last as long as of we course. possibly can. You bet. But if you don't change the oil in your vehicle, you can't expect your engine to last as long. So again, you are expected to have a certain amount of follow-up and, and checkups and review. And as a denturist, when patients are in our offices with these types of structures in their mouth, we want to make sure that we are encouraging patients to seek back the uh, review with their specialist to place their implants to make sure that things are being kept up to a state of health that is going to allow that implant to be in good condition for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. And Alan, I think it bears repeating, and you mentioned this already, but I th- it, it doesn't hurt to say it twice. To go to, a, and this is National Denturist Awareness Month, friends, so this is important stuff. You do not need a referral from a dentist to pay a visit to a denturist. It is not necessary. No. If you have a, a reputable denturist that you were hearing good things about, that you figure, maybe I should go see that person too, 
You can just call them up or look them up online, get their phone number, make an appointment. You don't need to be referred, right? No, uh, we are primary health care providers. What that means is the, the public can come see us uh, directly. And a lot of times we, we're the, the ones that have to do a lot of the treatment planning. Right. And what that means is when they come in, we are going to uh, put a plan in, in place for them. Sometimes we need to refer them out before we can do anything uh, to see a dentist or a specialist. Uh, but a lot of times we're doing the treatment plan, and and what that means is uh, we are we're giving them the plan that's going to fit uh, whatever troubles they're having. Exactly. You know, I'm I'm hearing uh, from the sounds of things, I'm hearing uh, echoes of pharmacists. They went through this about six or ten years ago, where they were feeling somewhat inadequate in terms of what they know and are able to tell people and interact positively with people about versus at the time what they were allowed to do. So they went to work and got the government to eventually acknowledge their credibility, their training, their usefulness within the system. And now a pharmacist can consult with a patient in a special area in the pharmacy and, and I don't know about diagnose as much as have, a, have at least a healthcare conversation that wasn't encouraged up until recently. So now the denturists of British Columbia, with that same sort of echo going on uh, from years gone by, are also... A at a, at a bit of a crossroads these days because you too are anxious to be more included in the healthcare delivery system in British Columbia. Darren, have I got that pretty close? Correct. Um, recently, uh, new amendments to the uh, regulations have been proposed by government. They came out here um, with uh, all four colleges receiving brand new uh, sort of structured guidelines as far as what the regulation looks like. Um, we certainly at this point as Denturis are looking at those regulations and uh, wanting to see that the access to care that the public is looking for, the broadness of the services they seek from Denturis are are the best that we can provide. Right. And across the country, regulations in some of the provinces we work with are certainly broader than they are in British Columbia. Okay. And we want to make sure that the Canadians, British Columbians, have access to care uh, from their denturists that meet their needs. So uh, how recently did this new batch of regulations come out? August 30th. Oh, so it's uh, very recent. Yes. So you, it, you're still digesting it, essentially, but already it's not sitting well. Gover you want more. Government is uh, uh, having it out at this point for feedback uh, until December 2nd. Okay. And so we are encouraging the public support um, to uh, look at the regulations and sort of see where they can uh, uh, help us in terms of uh, addressing the needs for making sure that the access to care that the public is looking for. Again, the majority of our patients are seniors. We want to make sure that the seniors in British Columbia itself have uh, the support by their healthcare providers, that they have uh, no limitations to, to seek the services they look for. Okay, Alan, I've got the uh, the script for the commercial that's going to start running here on CKNW yeah. on Monday. Yeah. And, and this is a campaign during Denturist Awareness Month. Uh, and here it goes. For many years, denturists have looked after our seniors, yet BC denturists have been restricted by outdated regulations even though there have been vast advancements in dental technology, now denturists around the province are spearheading a campaign to improve seniors' access to health care and deliver the latest technology in dental care, including implants and digital dentistry. And you can lend your voice and you recommend to listeners of CKNW that you should go to denturist.com. 
www.bc.ca, which is your website, which I've got up in front of me. And there is a petition that you can sign on and basically show your support for the denturists. So uh, what is the big difference then, Darren, between the, the level of service provided or uh, able to be provided by denturists today in BC versus some other provinces? Because you your, your tone indicated some people are doing it kind of more like we would like to do it here in BC. Where would that be? Uh, Alberta is certainly one of the uh, uh, jurisdictions in the country itself that has had an expanded regulation for over 15 years, providing services that uh, are restrictions in certainly uh, British Columbia today. Uh, Ontario, New Brunswick, there's multiple provinces. Uh, Denturism, people who have natural teeth is global. This is not a small uh, issue just in the British Columbia. This is global. And so uh, across North America, uh, communities of denturists that uh, provide services to their patients, uh, the regulations are written in such a way that there's a broader access to care. And right now, currently in British Columbia, with the new amendments that are coming out, there's a number of changes that are positive, but there's some shortcomings that are uh, certainly in the regulation that we want to address and make sure that we have uh, our best opportunity to make sure that the public is going to be seen by a denturist with all their options available. Interesting stuff, Alan. We've only got about a minute left. In a perfect world, were the government to go, okay, we'll make those changes, what would you like to see them do? Well, I'd like to see them uh, provide BC residents with a denturist that can provide them the same services across Canada. I see. So that's what it boils down to is the the rest of Canada has the ability to do some of the procedures uh, or some treatments that uh, BC has been, uh, you know, uh, regulated against doing yeah. so it'd be really easy for them to just um you know follow alberta's that would be you know magic wand mm-hmm. just give us what all you know basically allow us to do what alberta's doing interesting stuff yeah. uh guys i'm out of time i thank you for yours this afternoon let me remind our listeners uh, of where they can go to learn a lot more uh, not only about the petition and uh, signing on to support bc denturists to be able to give more and better service to british columbia patients as is done elsewhere in canada under the spirit of the canada health act it's supposed to be the same everywhere it never is but that's the spirit that my guests and their association are going for the website is denturists .bc.ca. Darren Saylor and Alan Bowes. Gentlemen, thank you both. Alan, especially for making the trip over from Nanaimo. Well, and Darren for dropping in from Langley. Hopefully we'll do this again. It was very interesting stuff. And have a great Awareness Month. Thank you very thank much. You. Pleasure. We're back after this. Once again, our thanks to Alan Bowes and Darren Saylor from the BC Denturists Association for their appearance on the program at the beginning of National Denturists Awareness Month. Coming up after the news, Johnny Smartpoint, John Carlson returns with lots more on Metro Vancouver real estate. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at BC's winter tire regulations. Thanks, Sterling. It's only been 10 days since the first day of fall, but with brisk and chilly temperatures cooling many parts of BC, it feels like winter is just around the corner. Those chilly temperatures led to snow falling across many BC mountain passes during the weekend, including 7 centimeters on the Coquihalla Summit, 14 centimeters on the Panask Summit, 35 centimeters on the Kootenay Pass, and 48 centimeters on the Paulson Summit on Highway 3. 
on Tuesday, BC's annual mountain highway driving rule regarding winter tires kicked in. Vehicles traveling over mountain passes in the province must have tires with the label of M plus S or the mountain snowflake symbol on them. Commercial trucks are also required to carry chains. Here's BC Transportation Minister Claire Trevena. I also encourage people to know before you go. Check Drive BC for the most up-to-date highway travel information. Conditions can change quickly, and drivers leaving bare and wet roads can encounter heavy snowfall once they hit higher elevations. We want everyone to stay safe on our roads this winter. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Oh boy, that's a winter reality check I don't know how many of us are ready for here in snug little Metro Vancouver. Thanks, Ben. Time for this before the news. Renitidine, the heartburn medication often sold under the brand name Zantac, has been recalled by several drug companies after Health Canada announced it was assessing a possible danger. The drug may contain unhealthy levels of an impurity commonly called NDMA, which is a compound that's been classified as a probable carcinogen. Health Canada stresses that patients who have been prescribed ranitidine should not stop taking it without first consulting their doctor. The risk of not treating the condition may be greater than the risk related to NDMA exposure. The agency says, this is Health Canada, Zantac, which reduces the amount of acid in the stomach, is often taken to treat morning sickness or ulcers and other stomach and esophageal problems. In syrup form, it's sometimes prescribed for babies with pediatric versions of acid reflux. If the medicine works for you and you wish to keep taking it, there is no immediate health risk. The only issue is from long-term use and could mean a possible increase in your risk of cancer later in life. If you do wish to stop taking ranitidine, your doctor or pharmacist will be able to recommend other heartburn medicines that may be effective for you. And in its 20th year in B.C., the annual Cops for Cancer Marathon bike ride has raised way more money money rather than the participants anticipated. $775,000 were almost there, already brought in. They were after six twenty-five, and the number is still climbing. Such good news. The proceeds go to fund local pedi- pediatric cancer research and Camp Good Times in Maple Ridge, too, which allows kids, some of whom are struggling, to enjoy being children while fighting the disease. A total of 37 riders from various police detachments across the lower mainland biked over 800 clicks over nine days, traveling from Vancouver to places like Seashell, Powell River, Lund, Pemberton, and then back to Vancouver. Tough slogging for the riders, and they say what's motivated them mostly is meeting the kids they're riding for. Every time a BC kid with cancer comes out to meet the cops on their bikes, it's just another huge adrenaline blast to keep us going, say the ride leaders. Donations are still being accepted, and if you'd like to help out, just Google Cops for cancer. And thanks. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.